0: Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to yet another episode of the Brown Taboo Project. As some of you have pointed out to us, BTP has been on a little bit of a hiatus lately, like many months now. But, anyways, Here at SESMA, we've actually been keeping ourselves pretty busy preparing some brand new projects for y'all, and we're super excited for what's to come in the future. We wanted to post this amazing conversation that we had with Dr. Mira Shah back in August. This was originally an IGTV, complete with everyone's lovely faces. So if you'd like to see the full IGTV, definitely head over to our Instagram at SouthAsianSMH. And as always, we'd love to hear from you, our followers and listeners. So if you have any questions, topics, workshop ideas, interest in collabs, or anything like that, we would love to hear from you. You can DM us. You can go to our website at www.susma.org, or you can email us at infosusma.org. At Anyways, here's the episode.
1: Welcome back to another very special episode of the Brown Taboo Project. It has been a hot second since we've <laughs> been able to talk to you all, but we're so freaking excited to come at you with a fresh new episode with a very cool guest. To start us off, I'm Shria in New York.
2: This is Sri in Denver, and we're so excited to invite Dr. Mira Shah on with us today. Mira, where are you joining us from? I'm, I'm joining y'all from, uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York.
1: So amazing. A fellow yeah. New Yorker in the house, yeah. um, Dr. Mira, you are, oh, I just called you Dr. Mira. It just feels so cool. to say It just feels so good. Day. She's
3: a Dr. Mira. I like it. I like it. <laughs> a lot of my patients call me that. <laughs>
1: oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as your title suggests, you are a family medicine physician You're an abortion care provider, and you're also the chief medical officer of New York's Planned Parenthood, um, Hudson Peconic. And most excitingly, if that's the word, you're (laughs) an author of a book that's been on my to-read list um, called You're the Only One I've Told the Stories Behind Abortion. I got to be honest. I've had an abortion, and legit, when I got one in my like wired frame of mind, I was like, I must be the first Brown person who's ever gotten an abortion (laughs) because I've literally never heard of Brown people getting abortions. Um, So it is, it means so much to see you telling these stories and, um, and spearheading this work um, in, in your own way. So yeah, if you could start it off, start us off with like a little intro about yourself and, how'd you get into the abortion game?
3: Yeah. How'd that happen?
1: (laughs) Tell us about, tell us your whole life story (laughs) in 10 minutes.
3: So, (laughs) so, you know, I, I have always, ever since I was little, like been slightly, my mother always says you were different than your siblings. Um, I very outspoken. um, You know, I always, I I always stood up for what I believe was right. Um, you know, if a kid was being bullied in my elementary school class, like I was there, like defending that, that classmate and being very vocal and wasn't afraid. Um, and that has really carried over into my adulthood and into my career. And, you know, I've always had such a strong sense of social justice, um, whether it be in social reproductive, uh, sexual reproductive health, whether it be against gun violence, um, whether it be in food scarcity, I mean, regardless of the issue, I have always been, issues like that have always piqued my interest. And I've always somehow found myself getting back to them and finding ways to support them. Um, You know, I'd be lying if I said that I became a doctor on my sort of own own will, Um, you know, being a, the daughter of South Asian immigrants, you know, there is this sense of you must become a doctor, lawyer, Mm -hmm. engineer. Right. And so my father's a physician, my brother's a physician, his Mm. wife's a physician, right. There's a lot of us. Um, And when, when I was going through the experience, I just didn't really feel that it was all that authentic to me. I was like, I started Mm. to become more and more apparent. Like, I really just feel like I'm another Indian person, you know, doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And right. Like y'all get that. Like there is so much pressure um, in, in our, in our world. And but then it was when I was in medical school and a friend of mine said, you know, Miri, you should really look into family medicine. And I was like, what's that? And I talked to my dad about it. And he, of course, was like, well, that's, you know, not a great idea. How about like a dermatologist or a radiologist, you know, where.
2: Can I, you know, can I throw in the quick note of, was it like they don't make enough? Was that part of the conversation <laughs> or like the prestige? Or yeah, all that? Totally,
3: yeah, totally. And again, and I love my father and he's, you know, he, I, I, I attribute a lot of my values and views of the world to him. And I owe him Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, but I do think that he sort of represents sort of this, sort of this, you know, global pressure that, that Mm -hmm. South Asian young people feel to like, do the most prestigious thing, do Mm -hmm. the most, like, you know, like the the prettiest thing on paper. Right. Totally. I was like, "Uh, okay, like I could become a dermatologist and that's great. I have friends who are dermatologists, but why, like that's authentic <laughs> to me and and I've always again have always just gone back to social justice, and so I was going through medical school, and my friend said, "You know what about family medicine?" and so I pursued that because I was like, "You know what, this is a way for me to care for those um who are underserved, people of color, you know in a gender non specific way mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and through residency, I found myself um you know, spending a lot of time with a particular attending who is an activist in sexual reproductive health and she's an abortion rights and abortion access advocate. And I was just so drawn to this issue because, you know, it's so fraught with politics and stigma and shame. And it was fascinating to me. I'm like, but this is a healthcare issue Mm -hmm. and it's common. It's not like it's this rare thing that happens every now and then that we need to protect. It is common. It is vital to, for people to be able to access. It is life affirming. And so, you know, one thing led to another and I have, you know, I, 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 practice the full spectrum of sexual reproductive healthcare. So I do vasectomies. I do prenatal care. Um, I also do um, tangentially related, but very, you know, very related to the overall mission of my work is um, trans and non-binary care. So I provide hormone therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but, you know, a large focus of my career is that um, related to abortion and doing whatever I can to speak out, to advocate, to decrease stigma, to say the word abortion out loud as much. Oh, as. I can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah.
0: Um,
3: and so that's, that's sort of, in like just a few minutes, kind of how I landed in this work, um, and I and I, I mean now it's I always say this is my life's work. Like this mm-hmm. is this is you know what what I have focused on, and this feels authentic to me, right? Like mm-hmm. I started doing something that just wasn't authentic, and now I and now I wholeheartedly can say that I am proud of what I do, and I really enjoy what I do, um, and it really speaks to sort of my my desires to always be involved in social justice, even from mm-hmm. a young age. But,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I love that, and I think it feels that that journey of finding your own authentic voice in whatever way that is where you're like, maybe I still you know got some of the pressure and pushed into the field or was even introduced to the field right because of a lot of the privilege that we might carry, especially as children of immigrants and um as South Asian immigrants in this country, but then also being like, okay, but make it mira like what how yeah. can I do this, but like do it in a way that fills authentic to me and empowering to the work that I really care about. Yeah, Um, definitely. And I'm, I'm so curious to just, I mean, especially in a South Asian context, because I think, you know, in the book that you've written in working with Planned Parenthood and any of the policy work that you've done, that is working on behalf of marginalized folks, um, trans and gender nonconforming folks in general, racial ethnic minorities. But then I'm curious, especially in that South Asian lens too, what do you feel like is happening right now? Or what are those issues that we need to be addressing within South Asian communities regarding reproductive justice and regarding sexual health um, in larger ways?
3: Yeah, well, first of all, we need to
2: just talk about
3: it. Um, I, I, after writing this book, or as I was writing the book, I deliberately highlighted the stories of several South Asian people um, because I don't read stories about, people who look like me, I don't, you know, see people often talking about, um, you know, having had an abortion um, who look like me. And I, I, Absolutely. since doing this work have started to hear that, right? Like more and more and more and more people DM me all the time on Instagram, mm-hmm. telling me their story and they're South Asian identified people all over the world have like reached out to me, whether it be on LinkedIn, whether it be on Instagram saying, you know, I've had one too. Thanks so much for saying, you know, talking about this. Um, and you know, I, I also care for a lot of South Asians who have, I provide abortion care to South yeah. Asian people all the time who, you know, I speak Gujarati, they don't speak any English. And I like, now my like sexual reproductive health vocab is very broad.
2: Hell yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I love that.
3: I started, I would like text my mom and like, you know, I'd be like caring for the patient. I'd be like, mom, how do you say uterus again? On
2: the side, on the side. Yeah. <laughs> I'm
3: like, mom, she, and she's like, you know
2: telling me. In how the, do you <laughs> say uterus? In yeah. The in Gu- in G- 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 wow. There's a word. Wow. That's fantastic. Because yeah, right. yeah. I feel like a lot of times you end up getting the kind of like slightly anglicized pronunciation of whatever, or uh, the slightly like Indianized version of whatever the English word is, which is this funny. Is
1: English word in an accent.
2: Yes, exactly.
3: <laughs> or so, so then I asked my mom one time, I, this was like years ago. I said, you know, how do you say contraception or birth control? She says, Oh, we just say family planning. And, and she's right. Yeah. Everybody understands that phrase, yeah. meaning birth control. Right. Um, so yeah, so you're right. I mean, we've sort of say the, you know, the anglicized version of, or, of
2: or, yeah. Or some vague yeah. idiom to be like, I'm referencing this and you kind of know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, totally.
3: Um, and, it, you know, it, my parents were funny, you know, so I come from, Gujarati family, um, you know, they came to America in the 70s and we were born, my siblings and I were born in the United States. And there are many of them are physicians and, and socially progressive, I would say. And I think that, you know, but our culture isn't unique to this idea that we don't talk about sex, right? Totally. Many right. cultures do. So I'm not trying to say that it's just us that where it's so taboo, so shameful, but it's interesting because I, I think that the reason we don't talk about abortion as much is, is because we don't talk about sex as much. And, I, and I, what I'm really trying to advocate for is more discussions around sex. So I've talked to my mom about this. I've talked to some of my aunts about this. And my, my mom will even say, she's so funny. She's like, oh, abortion. Like, of course I support it but premarital sex you know what i mean i'm like Stop. okay well,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i don't know about that where
2: that's <laughs> where some levels laugh. of cognitive dissonance right there where you're <laughs> like what this is okay over here but not that okay over there
3: but i've actually heard that from many women her mm-hmm. age mm-hmm. so my so some of the advocacy that I'm doing is just just encouraging more discussion around sex. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what we're here for. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it just makes me so happy because I think in you know in our culture for the most part it's you know the first time you have sex is when you're, when you get married and of course you should get married, right? Like marriage is a must. And then sex happens after that, right? Mm-hmm. It's, oh, it's pretty black and white. And so I want to bend the rules. I want to talk about like, well, that's not always the case. It's actually most oftentimes not, not the case. case. yeah. yeah. Um, and then there are, and yes, you know, people use contraception, but yes. Not everyone does because it's all about choice. And, and even if you do sometimes, as in Shria's case, contraception pont- fails, but that doesn't mean like, like all that means is that it's, it's common and it happens and that mm. we should be supporting, you know, whatever people decide, mm. um, around those outcomes that they weren't anticipating. I mean, it's just, it, it's so, and so, and I've talked to my mom a lot about, I deliberately would tell her about all the South Asian patients I would see. Nice. I would say, mom. I did a whole abortion in Gujarati again
1: today. Wow!
3: I "I did this in Gujarati today. And she was like, oh my gosh. And it really opened her eyes to this idea that my people have abortions. Mm -hmm. Now she's a little activist. She talks to all her friends about it. She she gives copies of my book to to like uncles and aunties who come over. And so I really, I do believe in the power of storytelling and the power of finding connections between people. Mm -hmm. Like I could have talked to her about, all these other people having abortions but what really sat with her was the fact that her people have abortions right and she could identify with that mm-hmm. um so yeah
1: interesting there is uh, for sure something to be said where the more you just say the word abortion the more mm-hmm. you talk about it the more you tell your stories the more you're like chipping away at this stigma mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yet there's also this very real fear that people still face i mean me like I I have fucking escorted at clinics I used to work for a reproductive rights organization but but my parents still don't know that I had an abortion because I'm too scared to tell my parents Mm -hmm. and they're also pretty socially liberal but there's always there's like I don't know if it's fear or like shame or what but I'm sure it's like always different when you're talking about the community versus Mm -hmm. when it's your own personal story and I'm I'm I'd be curious to hear how you have kind of worked through the worked through that with the with the patients that that you work with and and just the the anybody else you you've you know encountered yeah way. yeah
3: you know I mean in general when I talk about like it's really important for people to be able to share their stories and to be open at the same time it's not a requirement meaning mm-hmm. like if people totally. want to be able to share their stories they should be able to. But I'm not saying that, like, you have to, because some people just want to keep it private. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Not because necessarily they're ashamed or they're feeling stigma even, right? It's just that this is something that I did and I just kind of want to move on. Like, and Mm -hmm. it's not, I don't want to put too much weight on it. It's just something that I did and I'm moving on with my life, right? And that's totally fair and valid. Um, but, But I do feel like we need to move towards an environment where if you really feel like, like, you know, I am really close to my mother. Like I am so close to her, but I do feel like, you know, I'm 37 years old. She's turning 70 this year. Like, and we've gotten so close and I would say in the past decade, but I still feel like there is this this opportunity in our relationship to really connect on things that I have for years and years and years. It's just been ingrained in me. Like we can't talk about, we don't talk about
1: this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I
3: don't know, I actually think because we've become so close, I I don't think she would, I I don't think she would shy away from it. I just also have found other people in my sphere and in my world Mm -hmm. who I connect with Mm -hmm. and who support me,
1: Mm -hmm. but it,
3: you know, it does I, I, there was a, there was a woman in my, who I interviewed, um, in the book and she's South Asian, she's Gujarati and she tells her story and, and how her mother told her that she had an abortion. Wow. Um, After.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And so I think that we would, I think that we kind of it's not uncommon in our culture to just avoid these conversations Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of preconceived notions like oh god my mom's gonna like
2: chew me out disown me Uh, call me a
3: slut like whatever judge me or like you know not bring me around to like family
2: events (laughs) i don't know like the the list goes on not give me her sorry or her jewelry anymore (laughs) the way
3: the way in which like people have been shamed in our culture like you start to fear you're going to be an object of that but I, i i don't know i hear more and more that like about mother daughters or parent child connecting on 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 topics that they that they feel um maybe are are kind of you know, not okay. But are taboo, I also think, right? <laughs> and taboo, taboo. And I, and I, I also think that it's, I don't know, I, I'm blessed with like many cousins and I have like older cousins who I've connected with and who I speak to and I talk to about those intimate things. And, and so, and again, it's like, you got to start somewhere, right? Like, even if you, even if you feel like abortion itself is something that you can't talk about, I feel like most people can talk about birth control like that's, that's usually something that folks can get behind and advocate for and talk about. Mm-hmm. And so it's just finding some common ground. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and also, also re- kind of redefining this narrative, like th- this abortion that I had doesn't, doesn't define who I am. It's just a life event, right? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Exactly. It, doesn't, it, it can be a really defining experience. I, I'm not saying that it can't, but I I just feel like people sometimes feel like they're going to be branded by that. And Mm -hmm. it's like, no, it's just a life event. Just like continuing a pregnancy and having a child is like a life event. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So we need to stop like putting so much emphasis on this, this experience as like, Oh my God, so-and-so had an abortion. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, so and so also you know this other person just had a kid why why are mm-hmm. why are we treating the two so 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 differently
2: but, or had any other type of medical procedure that was oh, optional
3: totally totally
2: yeah, yeah.
1: like a colonoscopy
2: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like in this conversation too there's a lot to be said about especially as we're like pushing the envelope and and again to your point maybe not even pushing just finding those common ground and those places where we can start to open up and have some of those conversations in our communities even if you're not really interested in sharing that personal story there's a lot to be said about just like opening up the space for it and allowing you know like inviting the conversation in with friends with family and kind of even testing those waters of like So this doesn't have to continue to be necessarily Mm -hmm. such a stigmatized experience or anything in the world of sexuality or mental health or sexual health, right? And all of those different Mm -hmm. spaces. Um, And I feel like a big part of it is people come to us all the time and with that same kind of rhetoric of like, wow, I didn't know other brown people actually cared about those issues Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, were willing to talk about those issues, share those experiences experiences. Um, and I just feel like there's so much power in even the work that you're doing in terms of representing that we can be badass South Asians who are out there and you know, doing the work, but also not just doing it in a head down, this is my job. I'm just gonna be a family physician. I'm gonna be great at it, but like that's it. No, you're like, no, I'm out here. I'm gonna do all these other things and advocate. In larger ways. And honestly, that's so inspirational and beautiful to see uh, that like, you're like, oh, okay, I don't have to be a cookie cutter model minority. <laughs> South
3: Asian. Well, it's really hard too to do this work and not be an advocate. It kind of goes with the job. Yeah. You find yourself so angered by the headlines, so troubled by the misinformation that is out there and that you, you know, you read And I'm like, and I know the truth. I am in that exam room and I know exactly what's going on. And I know like what that, you know, you know, I, I, the patients are telling me like their stories and, and even, even if I'm meeting them for a brief amount of time, I feel like, you know, we, we make a connection that, that, that it's hard for me to forget. Like, I remember my patients and I, and I take those, those stories and those experiences with me. Um, to advocate, advocate at the Hill, to write, mm-hmm. to speak out as much as I can, because I just feel like there's just so much out there that's wrong. And I, I don't think that our, our political makeup or, our you know, the politicians and they really don't represent their constituents. Seven out of 10 mm-hmm. Americans um, believe in access to abortion and should be preserved. And, mm-hmm. and that's just not what we see in Congress, right? We just don't see that and so there's so people are being misrepresented and so I, I i i feel like it's really hard to keep my mouth shut um
2: i love that <laughs> go ahead keep it open do the yeah. do, do what we got to <laughs> do yeah
1: there's actually there's a really wonderful um poem by rabindranath tagore we're bengali so obviously we have to <laughs> um and uh it's called akla Cholore, and the second stanza essentially translates to like, if everybody is keeping their mouth shut, you speak up alone. Yeah. Um, I, I love got that. It tattooed on my arm this is oh my god I love that <laughs> <laughs> in my in my parents handwriting is parents that handwriting. Uh, so cute <laughs> I
3: have my mom's name tattooed on or sorry my name tattooed on me and it's in my mom's handwriting nice yeah.
1: oh my goodness yeah, yeah. in Gujarati yeah <laughs> but yeah so I feel like and I'm sure you, you'd you find this sentiment in like many cultures mm-hmm. um but but it is like it is also just something I guess, unique to any kind of community that is underrepresented, that at one point or other, they are going to have to speak up for themselves. Um, but the impact that follows is will will mean so much to so many people that Absolutely. It's, it's worth overcoming that fear. That said, mm-hmm. it's hard to do, but mm-hmm. it's also necessary to do. And anyway, we're just standing your courage right now. Yeah. yeah. It's I, those ripples.
2: It's those yeah. ripples that, like, really actually do tend to make waves
1: over time. It <laughs> like, I yeah, mean, it, it makes such a difference to know that, like, you're literally the first South Asian abortion doctor I've ever met, <laughs> or like that I know, like, literally, yeah. you're the only one I know. And that makes such a difference. Um, and I can only imagine how that may feel for some of the people tuning in, mm-hmm. um, watching now, or or listening to this later, um, to hear us talking about an experience maybe they've gone through, or they've maybe helped a friend go through, mm-hmm. or something they're struggling with. Who knows? Um, but just to hear it heard and and addressed by people who look like them mm-hmm. make make. A, I don't know. I keep saying make a difference, but I don't know what else. To, what other no, it, and
3: it does make a difference. And we know there's some studies to show that, you know, if your doctor or your provider looks like you, you have better health outcomes. It's because
1: totally.
3: it's like, you know, there's a way in which, you know, I can establish a rapport with a, a South Asian patient that maybe someone else may not be able to. And that person may, that other provider may provide great care. It's not about that. There is mm-hmm. just this extra level of um, you know, connection that can be made. And so there is, there's a lot of effort um, to increase the number of providers who are people of color, right. Mm-hmm. So that we can potentially have that be a way of improving health outcomes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So yeah, and
2: that comfort and that familiarity, I think goes a, a long way too, of, and we talk about this and so I'm getting my PhD in counseling psych. And so like in mental health and in that whole world too, and especially when you're diving into like things around culture or immigration or talking through family dynamics, right? All those pieces where you're like, okay, if I don't have to waste like three whole sessions to kind of get you up to speed and just let you know, even if you kind of in some way can understand it. um, I will say on the flip side, there's a lot to be said about, we've talked about this before of sometimes you feel more intimidated when it's someone from your own culture or they kind of like assume that they know what you're talking about and then you've had very different experiences because there's millions and billions of us so we have different you know worlds and all that too but there's a lot to be said about just especially as it comes to you know fighting these brown taboos and really just getting at it in terms of stigma and advocacy being able to see that you're not the first one or the only one who's worried about this or has experienced this that definitely goes a long way. Yeah. I, you know, to your point
3: of like, you know, it can be sometimes more intimidating to see a provider who looks like you. Cause you're like, Oh God, you're going to judge me or yeah. Yeah. all of the stereotypes that go along with this culture are going to be projected mm-hmm. onto me mm-hmm. in this moment. Right. And so, and I'm acutely aware of that. So if I see somebody who is of South Asian descent, I like try and dismantle some of those like concerns that aren't even probably that, that usually aren't vocalized, mm-hmm. but Absolutely. I just know that they yeah, can yeah. exist. So I will <laughs> you know, just immediately just upfront, like speak them with confidence and talk about what's going on. And you know what I mean? Normalize it. And yeah. I, had, I had a patient the other day who was a, who's a physician and who's South Asian. And she insisted on coming to me solely for the fact that I am South Asian. And she's a physician herself. And mm-hmm. like, you know, she was so smart and I just really enjoyed, enjoyed it. And she was like, I don't know. Like there was, she even said it, she came back to me several times and she was like, I, so not like you're telling me something that like someone else you couldn't. You're or telling wouldn't. Something yeah, yeah couldn't or wouldn't, or you're telling me something that's unique to but I just feel more comfortable because yeah. you are you're Indian. So yeah, yeah which I, I get. It's like, yeah, please come still see me. Mm-hmm. I I enjoy seeing
2: you. So So yeah. I will say as we close out here, I think something that I'm really curious to hear and that I'm betting our community and our listeners would also be interested in hearing from you. is just like in general wonder woman status, of like mm-hmm. balancing all of these things at once. Um, of course, not everybody, in fact, most people are not writers or they're not positions. Um, but I'm curious about just kind of taking any of the lessons that you have learned in terms of how to balance being able to do whatever your you know day job is and what that looks like but then how to like make it you and bring in the values that you want to as it relates to you know social justice or um, just towards multiculturalism in general right um whether that's specific to reproductive justice health access health equity etc um yeah just any like quick tips or tricks or just how you feel like people can bring some of that into their own lives or what they can get involved in even if they are not um in the medical sphere themselves.
3: I mean there's so much beyond healthcare itself um that's out there in ways to 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 get involved. I I I I mean I just I think that the thing that sets some people apart from others is just like some people are just like aren't scared to to speak up and to use their voice and totally. Because there's a there's a fear of what other people think, so I try. And I'm human, so there are times when I do care what people think, right? For the most part, when I know that what I'm fighting for and what I'm speaking about is the right thing, Mm -hmm. and that it's going to have a positive downstream effect on people's lives, like I'm just gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna like get involved. And so that's number one. And whatever issue it is that like really, you know get piques your interest, like you know, gets you going, like just, and if you're scared to speak out for some reason, who cares? Like, if you say it with confidence, you say it with a smile and you just like, you know, are willing to stand up for what you believe in, like others will follow and Mm. it's contagious. Mm. And so I think, Mm. um, you know, i a little it's, happy dance
2: hearing that. And I,
3: yeah. <laughs> and I I I, you know, I I do kind of this niche thing where I, I do sexual reproductive health with a particular focus on abortion, but there's so much out there. I, I just got involved with an organization called Sucky. Yeah. Um, yes. In NYC, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I work with them and some of their clients. Who are survivors of gender-based violence? Um, if they have any sexual reproductive health needs, like I link them to care. Sometimes I provide them care. Um, and I started going to like their events on my own because I was like, yeah. you know what, this is—I really like that their Instagram content's really good. Like the work they do is really
2: cool. Um, They've been around for a while too. They're one of like the old guard yeah. um, gender-based violence orgs in the country, especially culturally focused. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and so I just started. Yeah, now I'm you know, getting more and more and more involved with them just because I find their work pretty, pretty unique. And I just want to be able to support it. So yeah. it's just about finding things that really interest you, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and going
2: for it. And I guess not being afraid to and not being afraid listen to it. Yeah. yep. To mm-hmm. that voice that's telling you somewhere like, Oh, this is something that I connect with. This is something that feels important to me. Totally. Well, thank you so very much for taking the time to talk to us. You are incredibly busy and oh. it's been um, truly an honor to that you're able to share this time with us. So thank you for that. Um, where can folks find you? What are ways to kind of get plugged into the work that you're doing? And also where can they find your book? Um, So
3: I'm a little bit private on social media, um, but I... I, my book can be found at bookshop.org. It's a place where, um, you can purchase the book and it, the website supports indie book, um, bookstores. So I love that. Nice. Um, and I am the chief medical officer of Planned Parenthood. So following Planned Parenthood on Instagram, um, following, um, Planned Parenthood Hudson Baconic on Instagram, there you go. um, Sucky, um, on Instagram, I'll give them a shout out, um, as well as other reproductive justice organizations such as Sister Song, um, mm-hmm. Whole Women's Health Alliance, I sit on the board of. Um, it's a, it's an, it's a. They're a set of independent um, abortion providers in conservative states. I actually fly to Indiana periodically to provide abortion care yes. yeah. um, um, with Whole Women's Health Alliance, and now I'm on their board. So following them on social media is really it's. it's a great idea physicians for reproductive health is another organization that I do advocacy with um, and they're always you know putting things on social media that you need to know in the moment so nice. love um,
1: it yeah well, we places.
3: will
2: tag all of those awesome. folks yeah <laughs> okay. in there so that you can get Mira's rap sheet of like everyone who's awesome to follow <laughs> yeah yeah good to oh, know well thanks so much for having me yeah thank it's you. been so great to connect
1: incredible and
2: yeah honestly let us know at any point for anything that we can help amplify because I think folks need to hear this and we all need to collectively work towards getting it out there more and more so thank you yeah